Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. A week ago, Hank found a way while sleeping to turn himself around and axe kicked me in the face. <laughs> I wish that was like some sort of exaggeration or like, no, he literally foot up, heel to cheek. <laughs> That's as good as uh, a way as any to start the podcast. So when Ned had his uh, high mom sign, we all assumed it was for his mom, which I'm, I'm sure it was. Ken said on the air it was, but uh, good for him. He's uh, also an expecting father now. So congratulations to the Nedelkovichs and uh, Ned. That's a great soft launch of announcing a baby. <laughs> nice little teaser clip. Hi, mom. Uh, folks, this is the uh, final Winged Wheel podcast episode before Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA on Saturday, October 29th. We're pumped up. Evan, you've started caffeine loading. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. You're, uh, you turn on for those events. So have you been practicing your autograph? I did it with my left hand. You're right-handed. I've not, but uh, I'll be ready to go. Yeah, we have a we have a whole pack of sharpies for you. My God. Yep. Uh, Brad, we're uh, we're ready to just kind of sit back and do our easiest podcast ever. I love doing the podcast because it's it's Ken and Mick there, obviously on the live recording, and Brad and I just sit back and relax. So Evan, you're going to be running the show. Perfect. Yeah. Saturday, October 29th, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Folks, we hope to see you all there. Tickets are still available. We have some left at DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Uh, it's a fantastic event. More to come on that in a moment. Uh, but for now, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, for better or worse. Some episodes are happier than others. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be talking to you about the Detroit Red Wings, the game that just happened against New Jersey. Oy. Uh, what is to come for that team in terms of uh, forward depth, lines? Uh, I know some people are panicking. Is that justified? Is it not? What's a concern? Um, and what isn't, uh, you know, what's positive for this team, if anything, right now? And then we have a little guest spot from Ken Daniels as he talks to us about uh, his thoughts on the team, how they've started off, some interesting um, takes on the Dylan Larkin contract situation, and some more news about um, the events, including Winged Wheel Podcast Night, as well as Hot Stove Stories with Ken and Mick. We'll be talking about some things going on across the NHL and then getting into overtime. Again, before we do all that, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. What does your ticket get you if you come to Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA? Well, first of all, it's a Red Wings game ticket. So it's you get a special Winged Wheel Podcast discount to the Red Wings versus Minnesota Wild game on Saturday, October 29th. In addition to that, you get access to the live event. Uh, it's a pre-game uh, live episode recording of the Winged Wheel Podcast. It is going to be at Hockey Town Cafe. Doors open at Hockey Town Cafe at 3 p.m. for a meet and greet, mingle, mix, what... Uh, Grab some merch, grab some food and drinks. 4 p.m. is going to be the live podcast recording featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond and uh, some other special guests. And then we're going to be at the uh, Hockey Town Cafe meetup until about 5.30, 6 o'clock. And then we'll all head over to the arena for the game. After the game, we're going to be going to Harry's Detroit for the after party. During the game, of course, we'll all be sitting in special Winged Wheel podcast sections uh, with other listeners, fans, whatever, packing the house, enjoying the game. And it's really cool when you're there. If you're elsewhere in the arena, you can look and you can find the WWP sections pretty clearly because they're full to the brim. So 
Still some tickets left. A portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold goes to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. We're hoping to break our record for the amount of tickets sold to a Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA. Raises really great money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, and it's just an awesome, awesome uh, event to keep growing. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. So across two games against New Jersey, we've seen two different kinds of New Jersey. The first game was the New Jersey that you predicted, Brad, a talented team with a goalie that let them down. And last night, we saw the New New Jersey that I predicted, a talented team with a goalie that didn't let them down. Either way, I think the Red Wings more or less got outplayed, but last night was a much tougher outcome to swallow. The silver lining here that if you look at... um shot metrics across the NHL right now. New Jersey is number one with a bullet. They are comfortably ahead of the field. Um, And based on a lot of metrics would be one of the, if not the best teams in the league, if they weren't getting sewered by goaltending. Some defensive work to be done there, but especially on offense, they are generating a ton and not allowing a ton. In the first game against Detroit, they generated a ton, they didn't allow a ton, and they still lost comfortably because you know, Vanacek couldn't make a save. Uh, this game, the exact same thing happened. Um, and the goalies just reversed. And I don't think there's a lot more to deep dive on, I guess would be the, the phrasing here, uh, beyond that, because they were the same game with different outcomes. And... It happens. It's an 82-game season. Hockey's random. Goalies get hot and cold. Shooters get hot and cold. You know, I I, th- I think I prefaced something I said last week by saying that exact same thing. Like, hey, hockey's random. Sometimes stuff happens, uh, for better or worse, and you kind of got to take it at face value for what it is. Derek Lalone said something that I thought was really good. I've really loved his pressers and his comments after. He, he essentially said, this team isn't deep enough to have lapses in play and lapses in performance like they had last night. I think last night the whole team more or less looked sloppy. Like there were the highlights were involving Dominic Kubelik, surprise, surprise. But the Larkin goal from Kubelik and uh, Kubelik's goal from a very predictable Robert Hag taking the puck down the boards behind the net with a spinning pass in front to Kubelik, who one time did in, of course, as everyone expects. Those were the two highlights of the game. Maybe one or two decent saves from Ned. Otherwise, he had an altogether forgettable night as well. Um, The team just kind of looked disjointed in every way. I think we really saw the weaknesses of the the Redwoods, or sorry, the Treesome line. You know, foot speed can be an issue. You've talked at length, Brad, about how their size can be an advantage, but also about how teams can expose them with feet, with uh, speed and, and exposing their lack thereof. I think that was probably the the weakest we've seen that line. Sunquist we know now is hurt and might not even be in against Boston. Soderblom probably had a, every rookie in the NHL is going to learn through mistakes, and that was one definitely with Soderblom. He uh, he had a rougher game in terms of of staying absolutely perfect on the ice and, and making mistakes that led to a goal. Um, by all rights, and and of course you know Perron the. Perron, Kopp, and Zadina was another line that was tried out, and I think Perron was generating a good amount of opportunities there, but surprised that that line didn't convert on anything. It's just, uh, that was a combination of a really great New Jersey team, like you said, Brad, in terms of uh, their shot metrics and all of their underlying numbers. 
you take away the goalie disadvantage that they sometimes have. They're one of the best in the NHL, and Detroit just didn't come out to play. Yeah, I think the team's starting to come down to earth a little bit after the uh, outrageously good start that they had. Um, And injuries have unfortunately started to sink its teeth into this team. And when you're not a contender, you can't lose some of your best players on the team and continue to not miss a step. Um, I don't think we need to be all doom and gloom after a a beatdown like the one last night, but um, I definitely think it's starting to... Everything's sort of com- coming back to the middle right now. Yeah, it's regressing to the mean. And let's take a look at how the Red Wings started their season. You know, opening against Montreal. Montreal, though they might be fun with Arbor Jacki and Slavkovsky and whatever, still one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, they played New Jersey the very next night on a day where New Jersey didn't really play that poorly. It was just their goalie really, really let them down. They lost in overtime to LA in a game where... It probably should have been a regulation loss. That's right. It was a pretty even game. Detroit wasn't bad that game, but they were playing a good team. So, you know, when you play okay against a good team, you're going to get an okay result. And we talked after that game. That was a a really fun game to watch. Outside of the Larkin play that saved the point, you could draw some positives because, again, Detroit hung in there against a good team. They played Chicago and lost a game that they definitely should have won based on Chicago's skill level, but that attribute that to the randomness as you will. And then they played Anaheim with a day of rest at home and Anaheim was on a five game road trip, the last of a five game road trip. So, you know, this home game against New Jersey, if they didn't have that, New Jersey didn't come in and have that same goalie disadvantage. Like you said, Evan, like this is regressing to the mean. That's a true test. And what did all three of us say to differing degrees coming into the season? This isn't a playoff team by all rights. Not only that, like ignore how they how they look on paper. It's a roster full of new players. It is a roster with a brand new coach who is very, like, visibly running brand new systems. And you have guys coming in to, you know, their sophomore seasons. Plus, add on top of all of that context, you're missing two of your top three or four offensive threats in Bertuzzi and Verona. So, you're right. You know, jumping into the next point here, I don't think this is reason for doom and gloom. This is just kind of what the Red Wings have to expect and work through. It's it's it would have been crazy for them to come out and be perfect right off the bat. You know, give Lalone credit or give Lalone the Jack Adams if they they came in and had no adjustment period. That's unheard of. The Red Wings are about where they should be right now. They've had a very easy schedule so far. Um, according to the one website I was reading today, the 31st easiest, uh, sorry, 31st hardest schedule based on strength of schedule so far. So Second easiest, yeah. Yeah, so they've had um, a pretty good goal of it. The Red Wings are that should be, I shouldn't say. But there's a lot of time to play it, so I'm not going to say they are. But the Red Wings should be that tweener playoff team that we hang around the race until late in the season to make it interesting. And hey, maybe if a couple breaks go our way, we get in. But reasonably probably not so what that should translate to is you beat the weak teams and you lose to the playoff teams montreal sucks detroit dominated them new jersey the way they're playing i'll classify them as a playoff team right now they split okay that's a plus one la playoff team got a point plus 0.5 chicago Minus 0.5. You should beat them in regulation. You should not go to overtime and and lose that extra point. Anaheim, not a playoff team, dominated them. So the Red Wings are 
you know, a couple weird turns and flukes and plays and, you know, a Dylan Larkin effort here a little ahead of where they should be. But for the most part, these games have gone predictably. And the one thing I, I will contest what Lalonde said on on kind of on this point, I don't think depth is the Red Wings issue. I think the Red Wings problem and what he's referring to is on the nights they play poorly, they don't have the stu- superstars who can bail them out almost single-handedly. I should say, sorry to cut you off, I should say Lalonde, Lalonde said we are not a good enough team to have lapses in our game and mismanage. Yeah, okay, yeah. so then contextualizing that, they don't have the stars. Like you look at the New York Rangers of last year. By all rights, when you looked at the underlying numbers, the metrics, the depth on their roster, they weren't a great team. But Shesterkin, Zibanejad, Kreider, and Panarin are either legitimate superstars or, in Kreider's case, had a superstar-level season. They could bail them out. The Red Wings don't have that. None. Zero. Sider's a great defenseman, and he will get there one day. His trajectory looks like he is absolutely going to be one of those guys. He's not that guy yet. Lucas Raymond is not that guy yet. Dylan Larkin is not that guy. It's a tier below. Yeah, a tier below. And I'm not saying they're bad players. I'm not saying they're stars. But they're not the guys who, when the rest of the lineup is underperforming, can shovel in four goals between the three of them. And then the goalie can have like five saves above expected that game. Like, it's just the reality. And it's coming. And I'm not saying these guys... A couple of these guys aren't going to be those guys. Hell, Husos look good. Maybe eventually he turns into that guy or has a streak, a hot streak where he's that guy. You know, Raymond could be that guy. Sider will be that guy. But it isn't yet. So the Red Wings are that team that can't blow chances against weak teams. And to their credit, they had an early, easy schedule. And they ended up being the last team in the NHL to lose in regulation. Fantastic. Now reality sets in, the schedule gets harder, the injuries pile up, which happens to every team, but Detroit missing two very prominent players, probably worse than others. Yeah, it's 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 a roller coaster, uh, an NHL season. It's not a straight line. It's not linear. It's not predictable. It's, you know, you're going to get challenges, handle them, and, you know, stack it up at the end of the year. Yeah, it will be, you know, going back to our season preview, I think even the most optimistic total points was like, Brad, I think it was you, Brad. Like, what was it, like 88 points? Yeah, 80, uh, high 80s something, yeah. yeah. Like even that is an enormous b- boost from where they were pre- in in last season. But, you know, spread that out over 82 games, like that's very manageable for the team that exists now. Um, but then the nuance starts to come in with, you know, back-to-back, strength of schedule at this point, you know, key injuries, all that stuff, like... It's going to be tough for this team. For me, it's going to be very interesting next week when they play Buffalo. Um, That is on the road, I believe. Uh, So they won't be able to get favorable matchups. But Buffalo is one of those teams they're they're measuring themselves against, themselves in Ottawa. Um, So seeing what Detroit has in that matchup will be a, a very big benchmark for me for the rest of the season. You made a lot of great points there, Evan, but can I just say something? No, you cannot. Thank you. Before this podcast, Brad made us laugh really hard, which we both detest because he's not supposed to be funny. Right. He doesn't have permission. And he just went on a like a, a long but very like well-reasoned 
it's not a rant. Like what you just said, Brad, was incredibly rational and, and hit all the points. Know your role in this podcast, please. Can you <laughs> piss off? Save the long-winded rants for Ryan. <laughs> no, no. It's just make sure that you you sound like an insane... No, I'm kidding. No, you both That's made... what the uh, Patreon exclusives are for. <laughs> Do I sound remotely rational or sane in those no you sound you sound like you're taking something out on me and evan <laughs> see what the the patreon exclusive episodes not only are they good for our, our patrons it allows the real episodes to be better because then i can just filter all the it's catharsis insanity yeah. into there yeah but no getting back to the point you guys both made that's exactly it like brad you're right this is a marathon not a sprint and it's not linear and uh progress and this is, it's been the same story as other seasons. Progress isn't going to look perfect and there's going to be one step forward, three steps back, five step forwards, two steps back, whatever it might be. Uh, and Evan, like you said, there's also still very real tests where you have to take in context. I think that's a really good point about Buffalo and Ottawa. Also Ottawa, Wolf with Josh Norris, that's a huge that's blow. That's very, that's a massive blow to their season. But the one thing I will say is that I have no problem my advice is that I wouldn't be sounding alarm bells and I, I wouldn't be panicking and I wouldn't be throwing in the towel to say, oh, you know, so-and-so's a bust or, or low loan's not doing well. I, I don't think all that's worth it, but I have absolutely no problem with fans who have expectations for this team now. They've sucked for so long. Eisman went out and spent. Eisman didn't go out and spend and said this is going to be a playoff team or a contending team. Eisman went out and spent and said we can't keep losing like this and we can't keep getting absolutely dominated and you know, the, the young guys need support and, and that disagreeable for some may be sure, but you can't disagree with the fact that it, it is going to be a support in those ways. Uh, but Eisman went out and spent and, and made a very clear path for this team. And it's okay for the teams to say, or for fans to say, okay, yeah, you went out and spent and this team shouldn't lose as badly. I now have expectations for them to not lose as badly. I want them to win. And are they going to win 82 games? God, no. Are they going to win? That was their first regulation loss, actually. We should call that out. They were the last team in the NHL that was to be undefeated in regulation. And that's something. Didn't we start our season six days later than everybody else? She, you know, <laughs> Evan, <laughs> with the details. No, it's a product of, of circumstance and, and context half as much as it is their success. And Lalone was actually very quick to call that out too. He's like, hold on. We have, our our PK has been overperforming and we have been not as great at five on five. And that's what came to, to fruition on against well, the red, don't, Well, didn't, was it Blash who always did the 10 game segment? That was Babcock. Po- was it 10 games or 10 points? That was Babcock's. Uh, Babcock did five, it was five game segments. I thought Blash did that too, but well, I could the, be wrong. Aren't they yeah. like, basically one in the same yeah there was one blash it was just babcock v2 so the what do the red wings get in their first they're three one and two right in their first five games they were three oh and two yeah they collected eight of a possible 10 points i don't even know if the red wings did that last season yeah. at any point pick any at random any, yeah. five game segment very few would they have done that well in any case I think you're both right, and I think it's it's not a problem at all for fans to start to to have expectations and feel something. I said it last episode. It's okay to feel something now after after losses. Previous seasons, it, it might have been a little bit more irrational, but you're getting to a point where, yeah, you have to be able to expect something out of this team. Just wait till we're really good and a contender and we go on a losing, losing streak, then you will hear irrational takes. Oh, God, yeah. The they better team is— begun. This is warm-up for yeah. that. You haven't—oh, the irrational takes have been— 
hot and heavy on the, on the Twitter machine over the, I've seen Andrew Kopp should go to Grand Rapids. Yeah, people don't know how waivers work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen they should just waive Zadina, like not even attempt to trade him. If you don't like Zadina, you want to go, fine. Maybe, you know, trade the guy instead of just getting rid of him. It's pretty much been everyone to Grand Rapids. Yeah. Evan to Grand Rapids. The Red yeah, Wings have- Fair enough. One hot dogs. One regulation loss in six games. Everybody's got to go. So their upcoming schedule, let's look at who they got. They have Boston on Thursday, which will not be an easy test on the road. Minnesota, Winged Wheel Podcast tonight at the LCA. Obviously, they'll have a boost from from you, the listeners, being there. Uh, Buffalo on Monday, like you said, Evan. And then next Thursday is Washington. So there's a good amount of test in there. Yep. Boston's the only game where I look at that schedule and go, I'm actually surprised if they win that game. Minnesota's been struggling this year. I would argue right now Detroit should win that game. Buffalo, call it a coin flip. And then Washington, they've been underperforming this year, and they're missing a uh, two or three key players. So, you know, I don't expect the Red Wings to win every game here. And But if we're coming back from this four-game segment and the Red Wings have, like, one win in it, that's a disappointment. Ultimately, the, the story here is, Probably not worth lighting the beacons quite yet. It's totally okay. Everybody take a breath. Take a breath. Take take a deep breath. This is... You don't tell me what to do. Oh, you know, I certainly try and it never works. Um, this is exactly what we were expecting in terms of all of those things preseason. New coach, new, new systems, new players is what it is. Tell us more about the Red Wings start to the season and some interesting anecdotes about uh, Dylan Larkin's contract and a lot more. Uh, we have Ken Daniels joining us for this episode. So folks, tune into this quick interview with Ken Daniels and uh, we'll be back on the other side. Ken, you're better dressed for the part than I am today. Lovely, isn't it? Yeah. In honor of you and Mick. It, those things, the the power of Mick and his uh, his ability to influence the uh, the fashion sphere in hockey, my God, they flew off the shelves. Uh, wonderful and uh he loves it and uh he'll, he'll be joining he'll be joining uh i'll be there uh, before him you know mick likes to time things a little late but we'll be there we'll be there to, at uh at hockey town cafe <laughs> oh so mick's just like evan then yeah pretty much pretty <laughs> much in and out you know but he gets there he gets there you know we tell him a time he may be 30 seconds early but he gets there Folks, uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, back with one of our favorite guests we have on the show, Ken Daniels, lead announcer uh, for the Detroit Red Wings. Ken, how are you today? Great, great, Ryan. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, congrats on having more of your office done. You showed me earlier. It looks beautiful. Yeah, we're, we're finally getting there. A year uh, just out of boxes now. So it's been a while, some other stuff to do. This house was built in 1959, so we had to change some things around, but uh, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're happy with it now. So uh, for folks who want to hear more from Ken, uh, he mentioned this uh, Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA is on Saturday, October 29th. Ken and Mick will be there at Hockey Town Cafe for a special live recording of the Winged Wheel podcast prior. More to come on that later. Uh, but for now, Ken, let's talk about the Red Wings. You know, we are about 12, 14 hours removed from a pretty tough game against the New Jersey Devils. And I think that was Detroit's first I don't want to say first real test, but biggest real test of the season where they weren't playing a team coming off a long road trip and the other team's goalie didn't fail them. And uh, it was a tough night for Detroit. What do you make of it? 
Well, New Jersey came in having played the night before and lost, and sometimes that's not a bad thing. The first few minutes, you know, the Red Wings grabbed the lead on the Dylan Larkin goal, but then uh, New Jersey found their legs, and I don't think the Red Wings matched what they were doing. Uh, even in our open uh, for that game, we talked about how the Red Wings were the, the final team not to have lost in regulation, and uh, Derek Lalone was saying, hold on a minute now, uh, you know, there, there's uh, tension to detail and things that in our game and the analytics show that maybe not. So as I said, news, he says, stop spreading that news. It's uh, it's, it's not real. And, and he was right about that. But you're going to have your ups and downs through the season. I, I, the Red Wings just didn't match uh, New Jersey's intensity. There were, uh, there were a couple points over the last couple of games where I thought, you know, this is a deeper offense than we've seen in the past, but we're coming dangerously close to being in a bad spot again. Obviously, Detroit's down Bertuzzi uh, for a while yet, Verona for an indeterminate amount of time. Larkin, for a second, scared the hell out of all of us when it looked like he was hurt. Um, how much is is scoring depth and the ability for guys like Raymond to kind of get his legs under him this season? How important is that for Detroit to be able to find games? It's, it's huge for Raymond. Uh, Zadina, who again is getting another wonderful opportunity, um, he's, he's got to show something now that he can play in the top six because he's getting that chance. And as you just mentioned, those when they return, he won't be getting that chance, especially if he doesn't show it now. So now's the time. Yeah, Raymond's uh, struggling, but I, I love the additions of uh, Perron and, you know, Kubalik. Uh, so wonderful. So that picks up some of that slack that they didn't have last year. So I don't think it'll turn into that. Um, even Heronic, I think, is better suited now. Uh, and you still haven't found Cider finding his game yet. So there's as much as we can say last year, et cetera, uh, and how things went right for Raymond and Cider, there's now still room for them to grow with those like Perron and, and Kubalik. And I'm not saying Oli Mata because he's not an offensive guy, even though he came through a little bit in the beginning. Um, there, there's still room for those guys to, to join and that will, that will help where last year it was relying on them and that was it. You know, you mentioned, yeah. Raymond hasn't found his game yet really this season. Siders, you know, his defensive stuff's been uh, good and better and better, but his offensive game hasn't been like last season yet. You've been watching and commentating and covering this game for a long time. How much of this do you think is, you know, new coach and having to settle into new systems? And how much do you think is, you know, this is a team largely full of brand new guys. Are these all just competing factors making everything a little muddy for players? Yeah, combination of both. Um, certainly now it's Heronic on the number one power play. And Alex Tangay is uh, switching things up, whether it be Soderblom in front of the net and where other guys may have been in that position before. And again, it's finding where early on you're working, working, working with Verana and Bertuzzi, and now you don't have that. So not only was it uh, new, new faces in new places, now all of a sudden you've got those places that are gone and these new faces have to do other things that maybe they weren't doing before. So I think it's a combination of all things and, and a system too, which is totally different than what jo Jeff Blaschel had, whether it be a 1-3-1 one, one or a 1-2-2. Two, two. Uh, and for those who don't know, and we shouldn't always assume that F2 and F1 and, and, and folks know what that is. Yes, we've got great hockey fans, but a lot of people don't, and they've said it to me. So basically a 1-3-1 one, one is one up on the four check, three in behind and one in behind that. When you clog up the neutral zone, force the other team to make a turnover, then you get the puck 
truck and you're transitioning up ice. And when the Red Wings were doing it well early on, it works. And I think it will continue to because Derek Wallone was uh, steadfast using that uh, in Tampa Bay. Um, different skill level, sure. But the Red Wings will adapt to that in time. So I think it's, to your point, it's a combination of all those factors. What does Mick do when you use uh, terms like F1 and F2? Is he like an F1, F2 guy or is he like a trailing four checker these the older yeah. terms yeah yeah okay. the, the, the older terms and you know i i used to i sat more in on sessions with uh mike babcock you know and and his systems when he'd draw on the board and I, i'd sit in mike's office uh when he was pissed off at somebody that was always fun to hear but uh you know and then he you know sort of the f1 f2 and why isn't this guy blah, 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 blah. and it was even i'm going holy cow will you slow down for a second you know and i'm learning things from him so i saw it so he loved the f1 f2 and um but no mick for him no not into that he knows what it is obviously but not into that and i i, I he explained it for the average person and that's what we have to do we don't want to try to talk above people we've got great red wing fans but you also don't want to talk down so there's that that line that you have to get to yeah we were chatting a little bit earlier uh and the red wings have a lot of roster movement to come this season but even looking out to next season and there's all this discussion about the salary cap and stuff and larkin's still not signed and uh, some people are, are surprised by that at this point of the season. I think everyone is assuming nothing's going to happen with Bertuzzi, if at all, until Larkin gets signed. So there seems to be a little bit of an impasse. Um, any kind of thoughts on where that contract or what that uh, situation is looking like? Well, first off, with Steve Eisenman, no one knows. So when anyone tells you they do outside of Pat Brisson, and uh, Dylan Larkin likely doesn't. So I'm not pretending to. I would assume, though, the Red Wings would have absolutely no problem giving Dylan Larkin an eight-year deal. He's captain this team. But remember, when, when people talk comparables or Barzell, et cetera, et cetera, I don't think it matters because Dylan Larkin can get eight years here. He can get seven years somewhere else. You're talking Steve Eisenman, who lets Steven Stamkos walk. And then resigned him. Granted, granted, it was a, a tax-free state in Florida, so maybe it worked out just fine for Stephen. Um, but in terms of Dylan, if he's getting eight years in Detroit, and if in fact that's what they offer him, and he can get seven years somewhere else, well, just go do the math. Even if someone else is offering a million or a million two or a million three more over seven, and the Red Wings are offering eight, it's the same money. So you can talk Barzell, et cetera, and, and other numbers, and I don't think that matters. I think the Red Wings giving him eight will be comparable to someone else giving him seven. They're not going to undersell Dylan, but again, I, I don't see an overpay um, to match everyone else when that's the way the free agency works. You resign your player, you get eight years. You don't, you go somewhere else, you get seven. So just do the math. I think Dylan will be well paid and the Red Wings want to keep him and I think they'd keep him for eight years. But that's, again, just me assuming because I don't know. At the very least, it looks like we're going to have plenty to talk about this season. Uh, I promise to keep this short and sweet for you because I believe you have a flight to catch. But before that, why don't we talk about uh, hot stove stories with uh, Mick and Ken on December 1st at Motor City Casino? Well, the best part is Mick and Ken and Guess, and it's 7.30 to 9.30, Thursday, December 1st, Motor City Casino. We play Buffalo the night before, but that's a TNT game, so we're not doing it. Uh, you and I will be at that game, though, and uh, you'll, you'll be hosting this or you'll be refereeing with the referees. The, the key about this, when I thought about it, and first off, let's say, and Guess include uh, Chris Draper, 
and there will be a Q&A, a Chris Osgood. And I love the other aspect of this because uh, the league allowed us to have Wes McCauley join and Dan O'Halloran, who's now a supervisor and a longtime referee. And, and I don't think there's a better ref and the other refs will tell you than Wes McCauley currently going right now in the NHL. So he'll likely work the Buffalo game against Detroit the night before and just stay over. So I, I think it's wonderful and just stories, whether it be, you know, Osgood on the ice with them and what they went through and Chris Draper and thoughts on referees and different players and Mickey going at the referees and the referees can come back and Mickey and Wes McCauley nor Dan O'Halloran. Dan lives in Brighton, so he's local, are uh, shy about that. And, and there's a tie to, to Wes McCauley, uh, you know, being the uh, the Red Wing draft pick and uh, at Michigan State. So there's a tie here uh, to Michigan for Wes. So we love it. I think it'll be a lot of fun, a lot of stories. It'll be a Q&A. we got terrific live auction and, and silent auction, which people can also participate online. And we say 7.30 to 9.30. We know that's early, but there is breakfast included. And uh, 7.30 eat, and we'll probably get underway with festivities with you just after 8 o'clock or so. So, And you know what? It's come as you are, except if you sleep naked. So you can come in pajamas, but put some clothes on. You can come in a suit if you're going to work. It's a very casual, fun event. Lots of conversations. Come with questions. Come with money, too, to donate. Uh, a terrific live auction, including a sweet um, cider signed jersey, sticks, and Dylan Larkin. And we've got... Uh, Lots of stuff in a Sidney Crosby sign stick and Chris Kreider and a Matthews jersey. Um, we, so many other things. I can't get into all of them, but uh, you'll see it online too. Silent Auction should be up probably mid-November, about uh, two weeks before. And so uh, make sure you visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org for more information. Go to my Twitter feed. Go to uh, Ken, Ken's Instagram, Ken Daniels TV. Uh, you'll see it plastered everywhere. We hope to see you uh, out there and, and like... Ken said it's for a great cause and some really awesome stuff in that live auction and I gotta say Ken this is going to be the easiest hosting job I've ever had with the, uh, the guests you lined up so thanks thanks for making my job look uh, look really good well thank you for doing it and I know you'll do well and you're you're such a hockey crazed guy that uh, I love it and you know the game so well so I think you'll you'll weave them in and out and if not just give them a time out in the penalty box yeah no kidding all right, folks, this has been Ken Daniels uh, for this segment on the Winged Wheel podcast. Ken, thanks for joining us and looking forward to this weekend. Thanks, Ryan. Me too. All right. That was our uh, quick little spot with Ken Daniels. Uh, always great to have him on the show. And again, if you want to see him on the podcast live with Mickey Redmond, those two are, are something else when they're on uh, a pod together. Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA. Great way to do it. So I want to talk about what Ken said in there, because I, I think that was a really interesting point he made about Dylan Larkin and you know the gist of it is is that let's take what we know about how Steve Eisenman negotiates and we all know that he let Stamkos go all the way to free agency and was perfectly willing to let him walk based on the price that he set uh, and he also mentioned like maybe the Barzell comparable isn't going to be as big of a factor well obviously not if you're on the the, uh, the GM side of negotiations but Detroit's eighth year will be used as much more leverage there. So for total dollars on the contract and the fact that Detroit can offer eight years and also offer the advantage, of course, you know, of staying in Detroit and not leaving a team where you're the captain and moving your family and whatever, maybe $9 million is more far-fetched than what we were giving it credit for, at least in terms of what the team might be settling on in terms of where their, their limit is. Yeah, it could create an interesting dynamic. And I don't think we give a lot of 
enough credence to the eighth year when talking about this contract or any um, contract where, where a team can offer it. Because it comes down to, you know, essentially risk assessment from Larkin's standpoint because he'll be 34 when this contract expires, going into his age 35 season, I believe, which would be his first year on his the next contract. So let's say the Red Wings are offering eight and a half. And he's pretty confident that another team can offer nine and a half for simplicity's sake. So that means over those first seven years, he's going to make an extra seven mil if he goes to market. At 35 years old, what type of contract is he getting? Probably not nine mil at that point. So he's got to weigh the fact, is that contract I'm going to get then outweigh the eight and a half that I would still be making? Now, math dictates, yeah, he'll probably get, what's the difference there, mil and a half? He'll probably be able to beat that. So it's going to be a lot of projection on Larkin's end. Am I going to get a million more per year or whatever the number is than what they're offering? And at the end of it, am I still going to get a reasonable contract or is my career winding down at that point? Thing is, once you get into that kind of conversation, you have to also consider if you're going somewhere else, somewhere else, you're probably going somewhere else with a different amount of state or provincial tax. And if it's a Canadian team that goes after him, my goodness, the tax is going to be way higher. Um, but then again, getting paid in U.S. dollars means a lot more Canadian dollars, whatever. You also have to consider how much do you value playing for your hometown team? And that not just in terms of sentiment, in terms of this is where his family is. This is, ter- this is where like his extended family is. Uh, you also have to consider money now versus money later. You know, these guys are all making a lot of money and, and ideally they all have some kind of good financial investment direction. And they know that earning dollars sooner is more advantageous. I don't want to say it all comes out in the wash, but the waters are so muddied. It has to come down to player preference in terms of if you're getting, unless one team is like millions and millions of dollars off in either direction. I just think this is going to be one of those situations that it's going to be guided more or less where Detroit dictates their internal cap, not internal cap, but their you know, internal dealings can say, yeah, that we'll spend this on Larkin and then maybe move off that a hundred grand. I don't know. It's just super complicated. And I would think that the longer term certainty and all the sentimental value and other value of staying at home is going to be probably going to bridge that gap, or at least you'd hope. Yeah. It's such a subjective and personal thing, right? Like some people might be just a dollar dollars in term only type contract and that's all they care about they don't care where they play what the tax rates are whatever they just want to make as much money as they possibly can and there's other guys who (coughs) johnny goudreau um just want to be closer to home and there's no rhyme or reason to uh, me you brad anybody like it's it's a very personal thing so if if he wants to take more money somewhere else then that's his prerogative. Otherwise, you know, maybe he wants to stay in Detroit and, and be the captain of, of the Red Wings and and try and lead this team out of a rebuild. Like, everybody's got their own motivators, and um, I guess we'll soon find out what Larkins is. You also have to 
again, work in the probably uncomfortable for some people um, reality that he did bring in new representation. So by all rights, that is the move of someone who wants the Barzell comparable, who wants the premium first line center money, who doesn't want to kind of subject himself to the team's, oh yeah, well, we can offer you the eighth year and that's why we're not going up above this number. We're just going to offer you the same total dollars. Like very much this is, I, I believe Larkin when he says he wants to stay in Detroit and I believe Larkin when he says like, you know, he, he loves being captain here and that his goal is to to play his entire career as a Red Wing. 100%. You have no reason not to. The guy plays his heart, heart out for this team and, you know, they wouldn't have made him captain if they didn't think he was that kind of material. But you don't go out and bring a heavy hitter agency. Business is business. Both things can be true. They can be antagonistic to each other. They can be very counterintuitive, but they can both be true. You know, when you're talking millions of dollars, everyone on both sides is trying to have their cake and eat it too. GM is trying to have the best players in the league and pay them as little as possible. Players are trying to, you know, play for the fans and help their team and have the best players around them to help them win the cup, but also make the most money possible. There are exceptions, of course, but in general, having your cake and eating it too is the the name of the game. Especially as pro athletes, they have such a, well, more so in other sports, but hockey and professional sports in general, like your earning time is so small that you have to get it right when you sign these deals because there's no guarantee at the end of your next deal you're going to make some guys they might not make any money ever again they may never play in their professional league ever again so that's definitely not a Dylan Larkin thing but you know you got to get it right when there's an 8 year deal staring you down in the face so much of this is conjecture too like let's let's look oh, back yeah. at the evolving hockey uh, projection for what his contract would be. And it's an eight-year, eight point four, just a, a touch over $8.4 million cap hit. To me, that is a very, you know, Detroit Red Wings would love that deal kind of cap hit. I would imagine that's what Larkin is trying to come away from. No, $800,000 or whatever it is that Barzell is higher, or once you, once you breach the $9 million mark, that's probably where he's looking to go. Is the money not the easy part? Do you think the money's the easy part? Like, I feel like there's so much more nuance in like the the no trade clause and when the money's like pay, actually paid and is it paid in sign bonus for salary? I feel like the what the dollar amount is on at like AAV is probably like the easier part to figure out. It might not even be easy. You it know, certainly is not. Otherwise, I think they would have signed something by now. But I feel like there's so much more contents or context and nuance once you figure that out. I feel like you're right in that, you know, it's not so simple as, you know, just figuring out the, the dollars spreads, that you sign. Spread eight and a half million over eight years. We're good to go. It's it's there's so much more to it, I think. I just think there's once you get into the kind of player that Larkin is like he's your captain. He's your right now first line center the face of the team or one of the faces of the team, he's going to have, you know, he's going to get the no moves. You know, he's going to get probably Do some leeway. Yeah. If, if Eisenman wants to play hardball here, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen him do it. It's complicated though. Like it, you, you can't, that's getting so in the weeds that unless you're in that room and like Ken said, unless you are Larkin's agent or Steve Eisenman, no one can pretend to know for yeah, sure. There's no point speculating on that stuff. We'll just have this conversation for the next seven days. Yeah, which I mean, we have to go 
to the arena at some point and uh, Hockey Town Cafe to record the thing. So that's right, the live episode. Anyhow, it, it was a good point, and I think it's worth raising because we were, I think we were very guilty of uh, just looking at the Barzell comparable and saying, "Yep, that's the new benchmark, and that's the direction that the team and Larkin are going to go." And it might not be so simple. Lou Lamarello overpays Matt Barzell to ensure Dylan Larkin hits free agency and signs him as well. 4D chess. <laughs> Lou Lamarello does not tip his hand either. So Eiserman and Lamarello waging a secret proxy war via contract with their uh, with their top players would be the quietest but most believable storyline in the NHL. It's going to be a hell of an E60 one day. Yeah. Good luck getting any information, whoever's producing that, but it would be a great E60. Uh, quick bit here about the goalies. It's so early. And I think the obvious system that the Red Wings are going to roll with is riding the hot hand. You know, both have played three games. Um, in my mind, Huso's looked the better goalie. I think Nadelkovich had a pretty poor night last night, but at the same time, he's also seen a significant amount more, uh, you know, expected goals against the team. It hasn't exactly played amazing in front of him. But in all, you know, uh, Huso still has the better numbers. I think he's sitting at a 939 save percentage and a 2.0 goals against average. And I would love if he sustained that all year, then he's getting Vesna votes. Probably will come down a bit. 939 Vesna votes? If he puts up a 939 and doesn't win it, we need to have a referendum on that award. Yeah, you know, it's going to be Shesterkin with like a 945 or something ridiculous like that. And Ned has had a decidedly harder start uh, in terms of stats, 396 goals against average and 890 save percentage. So probably too early to say, yeah, there's absolutely a, a clear hot hand or not. Three games each isn't a big enough sample size. But as of right now, Huso, I think, has looked a lot more reliable and solid. Um, but it, it will also depend on, as they get the measure of tougher teams in different situations, how the defense plays in front of him too. Cause the defense did not play well in front of Ned. Like he didn't play well, but neither did the team in front of him. So if Huso sees that, then what's the difference going to be? Yeah. It's hard to get a gauge cause Ned's had both New Jersey games, which were arguably the Funny. two toughest games for a goalie. The Red Wings have played this year. And the one, like we talked about mentioned earlier, goaltending was the difference in that game. He played outstanding. New Jersey's didn't. And this was just the inverse. Um, so he still comes away a net even on that in my mind. Um, it's hard to con- compare the goalies for two reasons so far. One, I, I would argue Huso's had a much more favorable three games uh, than Ned has. And they're sty- stylistically so different. Yeah. It's hard to compare them against each other because Huso is that traditional, very calm, good positioning, can get centered not the best athlete in the world to make up for mistakes, but because he's so sound, he makes so few mistakes. Whereas Ned is far more gifted athletically, but not nearly as refined as, as Villy seems to be um, thus far. And, you know, if you go back to their Carolina and St. Louis days, the trend still seems to hold up. Um, So, you know, what style works better in the NHL nowadays? I tend to argue Husos. Um, just because the shooters are so talented, they know how to exploit your mistakes. So even if Ned is more capable of covering up his own mistakes, he makes more of them, which means he's going to get exploited more. And, you know, last night's game was a good testament to that. A good example of that, sorry. And, um, you know, Huso hasn't really made any mistakes yet this season. Um, so it's it's really, really hard 
It's not been perfect, but no, he's not been perfect. In general, he's been pretty solid. Yeah, exactly. So you you have Huso, who is quote unquote the boring goalie, and Nedeljkovic, who is the flashy goalie. It's hard, but again, I think the way the game's played today and how talented the shooters shooters are, Ned needs to get a bit of Huso in his game in order to keep up. Yeah, in general, for a team that you know, as alone said, isn't good enough to have lapses in play, but will have those lapses in play. I would much prefer the solid backs backstop, unless their goal is you know experiment everywhere and Ned is like the Cosa. And there's something to be said for having a goalie who's a little bit of a firecracker in net and not comparing the two one for one. Um, you want to give the team the best chance to win every night, especially when things are a little tougher. So Ned's more calm games will serve them a lot better. But yeah, Huso's playing style right now for me has stood out more as what is going to produce a more favorable result. I wouldn't be surprised if at least for this first half of the season, we see Huso grab the net and he's the one taking, you know, the harder matchups or the more important games or whatever it might be. Um, I think it's still probably too early to call a starting goalie though, right? I would think so. Yeah. I mean, Huso got the season opener and he got LA, which was the only playoff team from last year they've played thus far. So tomorrow against Boston should be a, Pretty good indication because that's clearly the best team they've played this year. Well, I mean, New Jersey last night was really good. And who's sorry, who also got Anaheim? Yes. So, uh, New Jersey last night was uh, was a pretty tough team. The one that came out there was they were just dominant in every way. I I know that wasn't a good game from Detroit, but they looked great. And that was you know they weren't at full health. So my uh, my New Jersey prediction is predicated upon that team showing up every night. So if they want to make me look smart, they'll do that to other teams and not just the Red Wings. All right. Speaking about uh, other teams across the NHL, the story continues in Vancouver. Holy. It it, just keeps getting worse somehow. Yeah. We're getting into points where players press conference lines are being like absolutely dissected and torn apart and analyzed for, for days and days and weeks. For good reason sometimes. Jersey's already thrown on the ice, but yeah, Vancouver 0-5-2, two, two points on the year. Currently the favorites to land Connor Bedard. Jeez. I mean, there's fake, there's not fake, there's uh, player arguments visible on the ice between teammates, fake Reddit stories going up to try to stir the pot. <laughs> Quinn Hughes is on IR, or he's out long term. Yep. So, yeah. It's not going to get easier over there. They're going to have to make something work. Otherwise, man, that JT Miller contract is looking tougher and tougher. It hasn't even kicked in yet. Yep. It's staring them right in the face. And don't forget, they also signed that Ilya Mikheyev contract this summer. They still have that Tyler Myers contract. They still have that Oliver Ekman Larson contract. Because I've seen people say they need to rebuild. And the answer there might be yes, but the couple things is, and we've talked about this, they have the franchise goalie, they have the franchise defenseman, they have the franchise forward, and they have so many unmovable contracts. Is rebuilding even an option? It's a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say, it's not sunk cost fallacy because, you know, in sunk cost fallacy, you can still cut chase. But like you said, Brad, you, can, you really can't with those guys. So is this a little bit of what the position Detroit was in, but worse? Sorry, Detroit, I would say a little better because they have, you know, they still have a franchise goalie, franchise 
forward franchise defenseman, yeah, but they they're forced to go for it here. They have to be aggressive in moving some of these contracts. And it's not going to be cheap and it's not going to be easy. And from the sounds of it, they don't have the stomach to do it. But I think that's their only way forward here. Otherwise, they're getting stuck in hockey purgatory for a long time. I think they got to cut chase with Boudreaux. I, I, I don't say that lightly. I like Boudreaux. I don't think it's necessarily his fault. But it's easier to change the voice in the room than it is to change the players. I don't know that this team can uh, come together and be a contender you know, if they if they come together and get better uh, support around those key players yet to the point where I would be mortgaging futures. You know what I mean? No, I get that. But, you know, the realistic question you have to ask in the NHL nowadays, seeing how trends have played over the years, is is this season, this season even savable at this point? The deficit between them and the, you know, quote-unquote playoff teams at this point is already substantial. Now, we've seen crazier comebacks and anything's possible, but if you're just talking... Four points. Uh, fewer games in hand, but yeah, let's call it six points. Six points in... If you're six points out by, what is it, the Thanksgiving, and you're out of a playoff spot, like we've had the conversation and we've seen the stats about how long your odds, odds are to make the playoffs. They make it up six points in a month? And especially uh, the way they're playing? I'd say no. I, I could see it turning around. Still so early. It's, but that's my thing. It's not that early. It really isn't. They're almost ten percent into the season. They are ten percent into the season. And well, I've seen six point swings in the matter of a week. No, we've. It's happened. I'm talking about How probability. What's the likelihood? And right now, do I think Boudreaux getting rid of Boudreaux could help? Yeah, it always seems to shake up a team. I don't think. Boudreaux's the problem here, but yeah, that that's probably the first and easiest step into turning this around. But again, everything I said, and then you add in Quinn Hughes, is he out for a couple weeks? Is he out for a couple months? I don't know if that's been clarified yet, but he's out. Tyler Myers isn't going anywhere. Oliver Ekman Larson isn't going anywhere. A lot of these contracts aren't going anywhere. And I think, is, did I say Besser's out too? No, yeah, he's out too. Yeah, so... Besser's day-to-day, Hughes is week-to-week. I'm not necessarily saying the season's already beyond saving. What I will say is that point of no return is getting close, and we're not even in November yet. It sounds ridiculous because, you know, how close, how much of an impact did Boudreaux coming in make on Vancouver to the point where they're saying, ah, if we'd just done this a week or two earlier after firing Green, then we might have been able to make more of the season. Another thing to consider is they're still paying green right now, I'm pretty yeah. sure. So no, there's there's a lot of complications there, and this isn't even getting into the ownership situation. An ownership group that very much doesn't seem to have the patience for a rebuild because everything Vancouver and Jim Rutherford said he wasn't gonna do this summer, he did. And it seemed to flip on a dime, which, you know. Not to, reading between the lines, I feel like he might have been nudged in a certain direction. An owner pushing a player, yeah, never or the uh, the GM into a certain direction, never happens. Red Wings fans know nothing about that. I mean, we were talking about the comparisons with the Senators' downfall here, and there's there's a lot of comparisons here. 
Speaking of tough ownership and uh, tough team situations, you guys see the Arizona visitors dressing room? The Well, for four games. It, it wasn't a room. Uh, I guess if it has four walls, well, wall. pieces of fabric, yeah. it's considered a room. It's four games. It's it's until their annex is built. So I understand that this is going to be a short-lived story, but it's some kind of look for an NHL team. It it led to me seeing the best tweet of the week, uh, where some where I was tweeting about it, and, and it's only Wednesday. Like, yeah. Oh my god, it's only Wednesday. Yeah, and someone just mentioned finally Ryan has a valid excuse to not shower at the arena. <laughs> I don't even know where the showers are. Exactly. It's uh, actually just the uh, the fire. They the just pull the fire hose. Yeah, yeah. They unravel it and spray everybody yeah. down. <laughs> the sprinklers go off for a couple minutes. The guys directly underneath get nothing but the cone around. Yeah, those guys get properly soaked. They actually the just thing. they actually just scrape the ice and dump the Zamboni shavings on them. Imagine if the NFL an NFL team they sent that tweet out about one of their teams. <laughs> you know, you can't imagine it because it wouldn't happen. Because the, o- the NFL wouldn't wouldn't let it happen. The Oakland Raiders, until they moved to Las Vegas, had the freaking outfield or the uh, the the dirt strip through the middle of their field. It's still not as bad as this. No, that's that what le- I was gonna say. Like that, that was in, in my mind. I'm like, oh, that looks so stupid. Like it's so dumb, but it's not as bad as this. It's four games. It's not going to matter in a little bit. But this whole thing is just such like a dicey look for the league. But there is some positivity to this. So the owner of the Phoenix Suns, uh, Sarver, is uh, has agreed to sell the team. There's been a lot of controversy with that, with him in general, and we're not going to get into that. But he's going to sell the team. You don't have to look far to find how happy Phoenix Suns fans are about that. The general story is the reason the Coyotes couldn't share an arena with the Suns was because of Sarver. He he didn't want to play ball with that. He didn't know the Coyotes and basically just didn't want to play nice with another major sports team. He thought, you know, those fans would, he, they'd pull away fans. If the new ownership group is willing to play nice with the Coyotes, it's certainly an opportunity. And I don't know, it's another door for the NHL to open, right? Like you can go about continuing with this Tempe, um, Tempe arena project, which I mean, if it works out and they can wait out that timeline, sure. It seems great, but this is also another, I think significant option where you can get them into, it would need renovations. I'm pretty sure, but you can get them into a, a major sports arena and in a situation that probably offers them a little bit more support in the shorter term. This whole thing is an absolute joke, and the fact that that a professional team is doing this is is so embarrassing. It doesn't matter that it's just four games, right? It matters that the picture, the story, it's out there. there. People don't care. People don't probably don't even know how long it's going to be. Or the general public, it's all about perception. Some other quick stories around the NHL. Phil. The uh, NHL Ironman passed Keith Yandel, whose reign very dramatically as he got it last year is now over. He reached, uh, also hit 400 goals. So he is he has the longest consecutive streak of games played without missing uh, in NHL history and uh, hit the 400 gold mark. But Toronto played spoiler to that, bombs. This is why Toronto can't have nice things. This is how you build bad karma. Yep. He scores his 400th goal in the record-tying game, and they challenge it for offside and get it overturned. Who knew? You, like, look at Phil Kessel, and a lot of people would think, oh, you know, this guy doesn't have the longevity. But the guy who was quoted as not drinking water a lot because he didn't like the taste, 
assuming that wasn't like an actual joke, ha- now has the streak for the longest game started. So 990 NHL games he... That is absurd. That is insane. The streak started in 2009. Yeah. So in the game where this streak started, there's only three players who played in that game still playing in the NHL. Sophomores, Luke Shen and Steven Stamkos and rookie Victor Hedman. Jeez. Alex Tangay played that game, was it? Alex Tangay played in that game. <laughs> and uh, Thomas Caberlet was another big name. Yep. Last from the past. Yep. Di- different eras. 990 games. That is equivalent to over 12 seasons straight of hockey. Now, mind you, there was the one last year where Arizona played Detroit. He came out for a shift and then immediately flew home for the birth of his child. You know what? I'd, I'd say something about that, but he almost scored on that damn shift. So... <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't a good game for Detroit. No, I mean, this is the man who put two hot dogs in the Stanley Cup as a flex, and he set the Ironman record. I'm so happy that of all, if I could handpick the player in the NHL who I would want to hold the Ironman streak, it is absolutely Phil Kessel. The man beat cancer and then comes out and gets the NHL Ironman streak. That's amazing. Good for him. Now I wish for all the drama of like guys getting held in lineups forever to uh, maximize the Ironman streak to end. Not that that's necessarily happening with Phil right now, or not that that necessarily was the, the case with Keith Yandel the whole time, but that just became such a tired story for me. Phil's playing in Vegas's top six, and Vegas is a good team. There will be none of this comparing Phil to Yandel's last stretch of games to get the record. Phil Kessel absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, belongs in an NHL lineup still. There was, like, it is much different in the room, though. Like, when Yandel was finally sat, the guys hated that. Like, they initially wanted to earlier, and the players pretty much had a Rudy moment where they were like, no, absolutely not. We're not standing for this. Take me out. Put him in. So I, I, it's easier to say at a podcast, but it uh, seems like it means a lot to the players. So that's I just, just the so, side. Like, just imagine going to work for 990 90 straight days that you have to go <laughs> i can't even do that for five most of the time <laughs> evan <laughs> and i'm talking about hours <laughs> and he does it but it's just it truly is remarkable and it's not like phil is uh doing it on the third and fourth line like he's still contributing he was still contributing when pittsburgh won their last cup um yeah it's and he scored a really nice goal for his 400th in that game. So good for him. Good for Phil. Okay. Uh, we have to go prep for Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LC. So why don't we jump into overtime? Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Uh, in addition to supporting the show and giving it the life uh, to grow and thrive as it has, uh, thank your uh, local Winged Wheel Podcast patron for that. But uh, they also get benefits such as access to the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord. We give away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, and the majority of those go to Winged Wheel Podcast patrons exclusively. Uh, and there's a ton of other great stuff uh, involved with being a, a patron. Oh, the Patreon-exclusive overtimes, the little mini-episodes that we record right after these. That's another benefit. So patreon.com slash Podcast if you want to support the show, and we thank all of you who do so, so much. Nick Geyer says, I'm starting to worry about Ned's chances about being our starting goalie. Hard not to love the guy, but man, Huso has been strong while Ned has struggled a bit. To be fair, last game's D was atrocious. 
to that, I say that's what riding the hot hand is. I'm, I'm sure there are going to be points where Ned is going to look stronger than Huso and it, it'll flip back and forth. Uh, my guess right now, if you made me guess, would be that Huso would hold the net for more of the season, but Huso's no slouch. Neither of them came in with a massive body of work, of course. You know, the the circumstance by which Ned got his games played, like he, he didn't come in with hundreds and hundreds of games played. So we don't really know who he is as a goalie full-time yet. And the same goes for Huso, but it's a good thing. If a, if, a, if a goalie is beating out the other one to take the net, it means Detroit has at least one solid, steadfast goalie, and that's it's not always the case in Detroit. Um, okay, Babe Landeskog says, let's just say the Wings managed to sneak into the playoffs with a wildcard spot. The roster is close to what it is now. Let's say the Wings face the Leafs in the first round. Each team health-wise are even. Maybe a guy or two out with injury, but most of each team is intact. Objectively as possible, who do the Wings play in the second round after that? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to put the caveat there that can we pick a team other than the Leafs so I can give an honest answer here, but they yeah. walked right into it for me, yeah. so that that's appreciated. That was good. AJ Voss says, in the spirit of the title of this episode, I think it's important to remember that Andrew Kopp didn't play any preseason games because he was recovering from surgery. And just because he's good to play doesn't mean we can't be certain there aren't lingering feelings or effects. There's reason to believe that what we've seen so far isn't indicative of the impact Andrew Kopp can have on this Red Wings team. Yeah, it's fair enough. Nah, time to panic. <laughs> Brad, please. We had a whole segment. <laughs> Hockeytown Racing Academy says, given Kublik's strong start, what's his ceiling looking like for this year? Do you think he could be pushing a point per game? Oh, I think 50 is the minimum. 82 points would be like out of this world phenomenal. I, I wouldn't be uh, putting any money down on that personally. No, no. He If he's a half a point per game player, it's still a phenomenal value for what they're paying him. If he's a half point per game, half point per game player, teams are going to be calling about him at the trade deadline. Absolutely. Yep. So... And uh, I think we can probably say he's going to eclipse that. Uh, Carter Nearing says, as of the Devils game, the Red Wings are now 0-3-0 in games that I attend, with none of them really being close. In light of this, what are some of the worst Red Wings or otherwise games that you've been at? I always think about that one, Evan, that one weekend where we, we went was the Boston game and something else, and I think across 120 minutes of hockey, we cheered once. It was so boring. You can, I don't even remember. It, maybe it was Florida and Boston. I honestly don't even remember. You guys already forget when we went to game 82. Oh, God. When the, oh, the Sabres wiped the Red Wings 7 nothing to the point where Caden Fulcher played the third Jake, period in Ch- it. Jake Chelios played in that game. Yeah, that was rough. I think it was what Darlene scored, that slapper that didn't go. I remember exactly how it hit the net, and it wasn't. Uh, that was after the goalie pull. That was tough. Yeah, we were right behind the net for that, too. We saw a lot of goals that game. Yeah, we did. It's uh, when you're when you're covering a bad team or when you're cheering for a bad team, the which side do they shoot twice question of where you want to sit in the arena gets reversed a little bit, which is funny. Uh, Joseph Barry says, is there any upcoming free agent Detroit should take a look at in July should they hit the market? It's a good question. Is there anyone that they should be kind of shooting for if they're an unrestricted free agent come July? I do not answer this question until March. That's my personal moral philosophy at this point. <laughs> Dylan Larkin. <laughs> what if Vlad Tarasenko's a UFA? 
he's probably the one that makes the most sense because I don't think unless something goes catastrophically wrong in the Larkin negotiations, I don't see the Red Wings being that team that's going out and overpaying someone by two mil long-term just to get him. I think they'd probably prefer some shorter-term options and given Tarasenko's age, that's probably the play. He could be next summer's David Perron, which there's no way, though, the Red Wings sign another blue, though. There's no way. But maybe. (laughs) Why not? Hockey loves familiarity. Uh, Jonathan Melwish says, Hello, gentlemen. Personally, I'm more than happy with the start that we've had, and I think the Devils game is a good thing as it'll give enough game tape for the new coaching to work on for the next week. But is it wrong to start to worry about Ned as there's a noticeable difference between him and Huso, or is it too early? Ned's had one bad game. We need to absolutely cool this. Um, In terms of, you know, yeah, they're certainly going to get a lot of good game tape from the New Jersey game. Uh, I, I think if we gave the coaches and the players a choice, they, they wouldn't have wanted to draw that much, uh, that many examples of poor play. But yeah, I think you're, I, I think you've hit the mark though in that you don't have to panic. Brad, you outlined it really well at the start of the episode. It's not the end of the world yet. Um, okay. Original Patty says, "Was I was in D.C. last weekend, and while at the Caps-Kings game, my wife asked a great question. Do you foresee a scenario where advancements in medical technology and experimental procedures has to be regulated for unfair competitive advantages per, uh, advantage purposes, much like supplements are now? In other words, how long until a surgically repaired knee, shoulder, hand, etc. is actually better than the before than before the procedure, and how could the league address this? Keep up the great work. That's a good question. Yeah, go for it, pre-med. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's getting into a lot of complicated issues. I think uh, complicated issues in terms of like what is a player allowed to do medically is is been contentious, as we saw with Jack Eichel. Um, I think we're far away medically from making like bionic advances and like having like a robotic leg or whatever, something that ridiculous. But I can see a situation where there are short term things that could, you know, strengthen a hand or something stupid. Uh, I just don't know that in a complicated high impact sport like hockey, that there's an example even close to that right now. I would say we're a little ways away. I don't think it's insane to think about it. Like I think the, the comparable to supplements is, uh, is really good decades, if not century apart in terms of how they have to kind of handle steroids and supplement use. But, uh, I don't know. I can see it happening. I think it, it's still a ways off though. It, Hockey is such an injured sport, right? We're not at the place where we have health figured out to the point where we're all all of a sudden enhancing limbs and body parts and whatever. Players just hope to make it to how Phil, Phil Kessel has been able to play. Yep. Uh, in the spirit of taking a deep breath, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast and prep for Winged Wheel Podcast night at the LCA. We really do hope to see you all there. We'd love to break our record attendance DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. Uh, for all of you who have, there's going to be a blog post uh, going up on WingedWheelPodcast.com slash blog with information uh, in terms of the day's schedule, uh, all the other details. You'll also get an email from the Red Wings about that. And there's also going to be a comment or sorry, a link in there to leave a comment or a question to ask at the live show. So uh, we do take some questions at the live show. So submit your question uh, as well as your name. And uh, we'll let you know if we select it to be asked to Ken and Mick at the show. So uh, check out wingwheelpodcast.com slash blog uh, later tonight. It's currently Wednesday evening or by Thursday, you'll see that post. 
All right, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Armchair, GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver for the number 69, Crying Ryan, and Hand has been an insight with Jemathong, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Ben Hurd, Bingo Bongo, the Forbidden, t- uh, Bingo Bango, the Forbidden Tango, Brandon M., Carl Brutana, Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets, and Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evans Actual Dentist, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, the Unshowered, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, the Podcasting Couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Bet. Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W., Disciple of Lars, the Prophet of the Towering Behemoth, Philip Zadiznats, James Laporte, Jeffrey Dun Dun Dun, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rapsy, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., Maximilian, me, Philip Zadina's Confidence in the Flesh, Melissa Erickson, O. Ophelia, Papa Woody, Reed, and Thick Rick. We'll see you all on Saturday at Winged Wheel Podcast Night PLC. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.